So another, another privilege of mine this morning is introducing our guest speaker. He's a really good friend of mine. We've had a lot of great moments together, and I know a lot of you could say the same. To know Nick Scholes is to love him, right? <laughs> so true. He has a real heart for God and a real heart for people. And uh, he really also has quite the way of falling down the stairs. Uh, he's not going to do that today, though. So would you welcome we, with me to the pulpit, Nicholas Scholes. There we go. They're shaking their heads back in the back. I can't believe he did that. Did that. Um, <laughs> it's hard to be introduced by uh, your friend. This is why. Uh, the last song said, lead me in your love to those around me. And uh, I didn't plan on say, saying this or speaking about this this morning. Um, however, we are. <laughs> and when I think of lead me in your love to those around me, I think of relationships and I think of friendships. And when I think of the fact that I'm introduced by someone who calls me a close friend, it's kind of hard for me. And the reason I say that is because the prep on this message has probably been the most difficult I've ever gone through. And I haven't preached a lot up here, but six, seven, eight times. But this one was difficult. This one was difficult because relationships and friendships, I kind of consider hard. I don't consider myself a very great friend, and I struggle sometimes with relationships. I'm uh, admittedly kind of introverted, even though some people would say, oh, you're extroverted, you can go to a party, you can have fun, you can do all that type of stuff, but I get filled up when I'm um, alone or I get filled up when I'm one-to-one, -one. and so it's tough for me to sit here and say, oh, Nick, you're gonna get up and, and talk about relationships and you're gonna talk about friendships because if I actually thought about my relational life, the title of the message is Relational Wealth. Wealth, And I would probably consider myself somewhere on the poverty line of that. And so then I'm sitting here saying, hold on, you're going to be the one to talk about this? Why are you talking about this? But I guess that's why I'm talking about it. I'm talking about it because I can't do it in and of myself. And if I could think of something to talk about that I was good at, then I'd probably get to a point where I believed more in my own ability to talk about something than I believed completely in God's ability through me. So <laughs> I'm talking about relationships this morning. Ugh. It's tough. I'm a horrible communicator. I text people hours, days, weeks after they text me. That's ridiculous. I miss appointments with people without warning because of a busy schedule. I've been told I don't take relationships serious enough. And I don't mean that to be a pity party. Please don't take that as a pity party. I'm telling you because I'm speaking, when I speak this morning, I feel like I'm preaching to myself. 
directly to my own heart. And as I've prepped this sermon, that's where, that's why this has broken me so much. That's why this was so hard. Over the past 12 weeks, I was involved in a life group that decided, decided to study the life of Moses. We actually, on our very first day of life group, uh, I picked four different people of the Bible and I gave kind of a list of what it would look like to walk through these people's lives over a 12-week cycle. And we had this really great discussion about it. And uh, it came down to Moses and David, two really great people of the Bible to talk about. And, uh, you know, David though, and this is where it kind of decided. We decided to talk about Moses, not David, because David is this mighty warrior. He, he, he is looked at as this amazing leader. And yes, he has his issues, but he is really looked at as, man, we put David here. And Moses, well, yes, don't get me wrong. Moses did some amazing things as well. But as I started to study the life of Moses, and as we started to talk about it, I realized that he wasn't necessarily the Moses I had always attributed it to him. The Moses that had talked to God directly in the burning bush or the Moses that had split the Red Sea. I, this is kind of a cool spot because it feels like this is the Red Sea right there. You guys are, I don't know. That's it's just my, my vantage point. He wasn't that at all. Moses was an ordinary man. An ordinary man just like me, and I think just like you. Some of you might be extraordinary. I feel very ordinary. An ordinary man. But as I started to study Moses a little bit more, I started to realize that his relationships and the relationships that he has with people in his life provided the perfect picture, the perfect blueprint for what I needed to model in my life. He, his relationships provided an understanding of what it means to have relational wealth, to have life-sustaining relationships. And so that's who we're going to talk about this morning is Moses and his relationships. But I think it's become so difficult for us in our current society, put that right there, to have relational wealth. Why do I say that? I think all of you probably know why. All of us have allowed certain things to kind of compete with our time. So it's difficult to ever find time to actually truly have relationships. It's difficult to distinguish between our real friends and our fake friends. Many of you know exactly what I'm talking about. It's difficult to stop the performance game, which we know is a total friend killer. It's difficult ultimately to identify the types of people we all need in our lives. And so I say real or fake friends and I actually saw a couple of people nod like, yeah, I know exactly what that is. Real, I have some real friends and I have some fake friends. Well, why do we know that? We know that because of social media, right? Most of us, I could say in here, have some type of social media presence, whether it be small, whether it be um, the level of my daughters, who I don't know if anyone can compete with. Um, sorry, Kayla. But we have a social media presence. 
And what's inter interesting about this is if we think about the four biggest social media platforms used in society, we would recognize that current cultural trends have already clearly identified the types of individuals we need and we want in our lives. They've already been identified by our social media. What do I mean? The four that I'm talking about are Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and Snapchat. These four are the four that I hear, I, I'm a school administrator, so I hear these four always talked about. Facebook and Snapchat, what do they have? They have what's called friends. The people that you connect with on those two social media platforms are friends. People that you share your story with, that you share your life with. And if you're really private, you only share your private story. I'm talking to everyone under 25 right now. <laughs> Twitter and Instagram, what do they have? They don't have friends. Followers. And people who you follow. Okay. So what have we created? We've created three different profiles. Our social media platforms have actually created these profiles for us. Friends, followers, and people who we follow. The interesting thing is these three profiles are defined over and over again in our culture, throughout history, throughout the Bible. These three profiles. Friends, followers, and who we follow. And although I don't love doing this, I'm going to um, kind of throw like a religious term in here. It's the term minister. And I don't mean the noun minister. So I don't mean priest and pastor type of minister. I mean the verb minister. What do I mean by that? The definition of the verb to minister is to give aid or service. Or another definition says to attend to the needs of someone. So instead of friends, followers, and who we follow, I'm going to rephrase these for our sake this morning, because I think it's important to kind of understand this in the context of a biblical life. Our friends, well, that's who we minister with. Our followers, that's who we minister to. Who we follow, that's who ministers to us. So before I get started about, um, before I started talking about our social media uh, presence, uh, I started to use the example of Moses. And if you'd like a quick synopsis of Moses, I encourage you to either read Acts 7, that's one chapter, you can really hear about Moses, or you can read the books of Exodus and Deuteronomy, and you can really find a great picture of Moses. It's a, he's a really great character. But I'm not going to do that this morning. What I want to do is hone in on his relationships and deal with the three profiles that Moses deals with. Can we do that this morning? Yeah? Okay, good. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much for the opportunity to learn from your word. It's not something that sits uh, on a nightstand and we have to dust it off. It's not something that we don't ever touch, that we don't ever pick up, but it's something that is alive always in our lives. I pray, Lord, that you would use your word this morning to pierce our hearts, to go deep into areas of our life where we have kept other people away from. 
Areas of our life where we've allowed insecurities to keep us from living healthy, full relational lives. Lord, allow us to jump in this morning and see what you have for us. Allow us to be receptive to your word. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. Let's get started. Here we go. You're like, hold on, you, you've started. You've been in this for 10 minutes. <laughs> in Proverbs 27, 17, it says this, iron sharpens iron and what, as one man sharpens another. I don't believe there's a greater scripture from his word to describe the first profile we will discuss this morning, and that's ministering to us who we follow. In Moses' story, this is Jethro. Jethro is Moses' father-in-law, someone who he has spent the last 40 years with tending his flocks. Although there's not a fully detailed story of their relationship, Almost everything you can find or you need to know is found in about a 15 verse passage in Exodus chapter 18, verses seven through 23. So I wanna take you through it real quick. Jethro is bringing Moses' wife and his kids to him after being away from them for, it doesn't specifically say, but it had to have been a while because Moses and Aaron had gone off to Pharaoh and all the plagues had happened and then all the Israelites moved out of Egypt. And so Jethro says, hey, I got, I got to get your wife and your kids to you. So he goes to them in the wilderness. And I want you to realize something in these passages Never, so he, he, he gets there and he's saying some time with Moses, but it never, it never talks about Jethro and Moses having this grand relationship. It doesn't say that they were best friends. It doesn't say that um, they really um, cared for each other. It doesn't do any of that. But it's clear in the passage that they have a mutual respect for each other. And that allows the next interaction to occur. And so let me set this interaction up. Um, it'd be like me sitting up here and instead of the 400 people we have here, 500 people we have here, imagine four to six million people. And I'm sitting here, I'm Moses, and each of you are bringing all of your issues to me. And I'm the only one judging them. <laughs> Some of you are like, are you crazy? Like, that's insane. That's, that's I, I can't even fathom it. And Jethro can't fathom it either. He's watching Moses deal with all of the Hebrew, all the Israelite problems. The day ends, Jethro pulls Moses aside and says, are you insane? Like, are, are, like have you lost your mind? There's no way you can do this. You're going to wear yourself out. Stop it. He speaks directly into Moses' life. And then, instead of just providing unsolicited advice, which sometimes we do and then we walk away, he provides a specific plan on how to deal with it moving forward. And I want you to listen to what Moses' response is. It's in Exodus 18, 24. It says this. So Moses listened to the voice of his father-in-law and did all that he had said. Jethro was sharpening Moses. 
He was speaking into his life. He was ministering directly to him as maybe only he could at the time. You see, I think Moses had allowed Jethro to inhabit that area in his life because he realizes he realized he needed someone in his life he could trust and who could call him out, who could take him to the car- carpet, who could say no to him. The, uh, the woman who led my wife to the Lord, um, who was also her maid of honor, put Jen in her place early on in her um, walk with the Lord. Really, really hit her hard. And I remember Jen coming home. Um, we were dating at the time and, and she was pretty angry. She was mad. And, uh, but this, this woman said, what do I get out of this by calling you out? What do I get out of it? What's my motivation? I don't benefit at all from this. If you have someone that calls you out, if you have someone that's ministering to you and puts you out there and says, hey, you know what? Have you thought about this in your life? And it hurts you and you're mad and you, you're like, who are they to do that? I want you to ask the question, what do they have to gain by saying that? It's a tough question because this woman had nothing to gain by putting Jen in her place. So, question number one. Do you have someone who is allowed to minister to you? And yes, I say allowed. You have to allow someone to exist in the space where you are vulnerable, where someone is able to call you out. And I want you to hear something before we move on. Some of you may be sitting there asking yourself, who would I even look towards? How would I even have the time? Let me tell you, this type of relationship does not need regular meetings. It doesn't need weekly text messages, FaceTime calls, coffee dates, or constant following on Facebook. This relationship requires trust, not time. For some, that trust is because of family. That trust exists because of confidentiality. That trust exists because of an assurance on character. So maybe the question is, who do you trust to minister into your life? Let me give you some examples. You got to find something. You got to find one of these maybe can, can be something that you can have an example for. What about men and women of wisdom in this church? There are a lot and they are full of wisdom. You just haven't found them. Maybe there's someone in your family that you trust to minister into your life. Maybe someone you've walked through learning to follow Jesus with that you trust. Learning to follow Jesus is a one-on-one discipleship program that you'll hear about at the end of service. Maybe it's a professional counselor because you need that level of confidentiality to just lay it out. Maybe it's a trusted friend in another church so that you don't have to deal with this church. You, You need someone else to minister into your life could be any of those. Whoever it is, I encourage you not to wait. And if you don't have someone right now, or if you're like me and haven't necessarily had this person in your life for, I don't even want to tell you how many years, then this is your challenge. Find someone. Because I am. I'm trying to find someone. Because it's important to me. And it should have been important to me, but I've just continued to kind of push that, p- that area of my relationships aside. 
So what about the second one? In 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 8, Paul says this to the Christians in Thessalonica. He says, so being affectionately desirous of you, this is Paul talking, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel, I want you to hear that, share with you not only the gospel, but also our own selves. Because you would become very dear to us. What is he identifying? He says, share the gospel. What's that? My words. But then he says, I'm gonna, I'm gonna share my own self here too. Our actions. He is providing the very way Paul is here through which we minister to other people. Who are you ministering to? Who are your followers? Number two. Who are your followers? In Moses' story, this person is Joshua. So who's Joshua? Not much is known about Joshua. However, well, hold on. Let me, let me step that back. There's tons of known about Joshua. Not much is known about how Joshua ascends to the head of the military command in all, in, among the Israelites. However, he's there. And he's clearly Moses' most trusted servant and leader. So how does he do it in words? How does Moses minister to Joshua through his words? In Exodus chapter 17, verse 14, it says this, then the Lord said to Moses, so what has happened is um, Joshua has just defeated the Amalekite army. And um, with uh, over the watchful eye of Moses and Aaron and her, and that whole story is a really cool story. I encourage you to read it in Exodus chapter 17. But it says this, then the Lord said to Moses, write this as a memorial in a book and recite it in the ears of Joshua that I will utterly blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. Recite it in the ears of Joshua. See, God is giving specific instruction to invest into Joshua through words. Just as Paul has spoken to the early church, God is telling Moses, Tell him, let him know. Don't let him leave this place until he knows. Recite it in his ears. I don't think he's saying, go yell it in his ears. I'm saying, he, he, he's telling him, tell him, let him know about this. This is important. This is gonna mean something someday. How are you ministering to other people? You're reciting it in their ears, but you're also not just doing that, you're doing it through action as well. How's this, how does Moses do that? If you read the story of Moses and Joshua, you quickly, oh gosh, you quickly realize that Moses takes Joshua everywhere. Moses is not just reciting it in his ears. He recognizes Joshua's skill set. He sees the potential. He sees a future or a calling over his life. And Moses says, come along. Hit your wagon to mine. Exodus 24, verse 12, 13, and 14. I'm just going to read. I'm going to pl pluck 13 out of here. It says, so Moses rose with his assistant Joshua and Moses went up into the mountain of God and he said to the elders, wait here for us until we return to you. Now, th this, maybe that doesn't sound significant, but here's how significant that is. Moses 
is getting ready to go up the mountain to receive the tablets of stone that are going to have the Ten Commandments. And he brings Joshua. He's the only person he brings. He brings Joshua. He doesn't bring her and he doesn't bring Aaron. These are his two best friends. He doesn't bring his two best friends. He brings the person he's ministering to through action. So question number two, who are you ministering to? Have you listened to God when he said, recite it in their ears? Have you brought someone along the ride up the mountain with you on your journey? I don't think that's easy. I'm not telling you it's easy. I'm telling you you have to be intentional about it. But I'm telling you that the word of God instructs us to do it. As you let that sit for a while, I need to tell you something here too. Um, Moses never entered the promised land. Some of you are like, yeah, I, I know that, Nick. But have you ever thought about what that meant relationally? If you have no idea what I'm talking about in terms of the promised land, listen to this. He never entered the one place he was instructed to bring four to six million people after waiting 40 years. Can you imagine how disappointed any of us would be? Could you imagine you worked blood, sweat, tears for 40 years into something and someone else got to reap what you did? You'd be mad. But Moses didn't wear that disappointment around his shoulders. Why? Because he understood the plan God had for his life. That wasn't his role. It wasn't your role. Because he understood it. He had accomplished his role. His role was to bring Joshua along. Have you ever wondered? This, is, this, this kind of blows my mind. I, I think of this in terms of parenting. I'm curious if you've ever wondered if your whole plan in life, your whole, the, the whole reason you are here is to get someone else into the promised land. That's a sobering thought because you don't get the credit. But the whole Bible has examples of that. Abraham paved the way for Isaac, who paved it for Jacob. Moses paved the way for Joshua, who got to enter the promised land. Elijah paved the way for Elisha, who got a, second, or a double blessing. David paved the way for Solomon, who got to build the temple. Over and over again, this happens. Therefore, if the example is set for us, we must be looking for opportunities to invest into the lives of others, to truly minister to them. Not just a bunch of followers who are following your Twitter feed. Not a bunch of people who follow you because they want to be you or they want to be like you. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about truly ministering into others because of your talents, with your wisdom, with the gifts God has given you with the plan that they might one day reap the fruit of your labor. So how do I do this? 
if you continue to read the first scripture I read in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, you need to read verses 7 through 12. I'm not going to go through it, but it identifies perfectly how to do this. And it gives four ways. You minister through empathy. You have to be willing to see other people. You have to, be, you have to see them. You have to truly see them. You have to minister through evangelism. Only ministering to people's personal care leaves their souls empty. I'm going to say that again. Only ministering to people's personal care leaves their souls empty. We, we as a church need to stop doing that. And I'm not talking about word of life. I'm talking about the church in general. If you just go out and do something nice for someone and don't tell them about Christ, then you're just, you're just like everyone else who's doing good things. We need to witness to their spiritual side as well. We need to minister through example. Let your life and everything be not only pleasing to God, but a true example of what it means to live a life for Christ in everything, everything. We need to minister through exhortation. Be willing to recognize the areas in someone's life where excellence exists. In Hebrews 30, 13, it says, but exhort one another every day as long as it is called today. Exhort where they may even be better than you. See, if you can push your pride down enough, this is the ultimate culmination of ministering into someone's life. Where they pass you on that scale it because of their understanding, their wisdom, their Bible knowledge, whatever you want to call it, where they pass you. That's the ultimate step of ministering into someone's life. Amen. How about the third one? In Proverbs 18, 24, it says, a man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Proverbs 17, 17 says, a friend loves at all time and a brother is born for adversity. My wife woke up and told me a scripture this morning that I'm gonna go grab too, because it fits right here. Proverbs 27, nine, oil and perfume make the heart glad and the sweetness of a friend comes from his earnest counsel. I liked her translation a little bit better, but you can look it up, find different translations. Proverbs 27, nine. So we look at the last profile and you see it's likely the one we are most comfortable with, but the one we probably also feel like we struggle with the most. What are the things we say? I have so many friends, but no one who I really feel like is that one friend who sticks closer to their brother. Or maybe I really only have one friend and that person's always busy so it's hard to ever connect. Or maybe I have no friends, period. Maybe I need daily communication and they don't really need that level of communication so it's hard for me. Or the flip side of that, just give me space. <laughs> I don't need it, just give me space. Maybe your spouse is an extrovert and you are an introvert. Your spouse loves crowds, lots of friends. You love one-on-one -on -one connection. But your marriage is constantly struggling to find balance so that both of your needs are met. And honestly, most of the time in those situations, neither need is met. So you're both struggling. So then 
we need to look at Moses, right? Who is he ministering with? Let me start by saying this is not all your 251 friends, which is what I have, which is probably really low on Facebook, or 982, or maybe you have over 2,000. I'm talking about those who you choose to live life with. In our Moses story, this individual is clearly Aaron. Aaron also happens to be his brother, but I think that this is also a friendship, if you read it really closely. For all intents and purposes, though, Aaron and Moses are estranged. And maybe some of you need to hear just that this morning. You have someone in your family, you have a close friend that you've become estranged with. I want to tell you, it's not too late to get back into friendship with that individual. See, Moses and Aaron had been estranged for 80 years. I, I, the Bible doesn't say this, and I'm not really quite sure if they ever had any type of relationship when Moses was in Egypt and, um, and Aaron was a Hebrew slave, but it seems fairly clear that they didn't really know each other. They had been estranged for 80 years, and they come back together. Moses greets him with a kiss, and it's like no time had passed at all. And there are so many stories to discuss the relationship between Moses and Aaron. There's actually 140 scriptures that actually have both their names in it. They just, they were inseparable um, in their life. But there's a really cool account in Leviticus chapter 10 uh, that I, I think, um, I'm not going to read it. It's 20 verses long. Um, and I encourage you to read it, but this is basically what happened. Aaron's sons have just sinned against God two of Aaron's sons, and they both are killed. They're, they die. And Moses then calls Aaron out for something he needed to be called out on. Aaron, Aaron silently listens to Moses. It's not all negative. He then begins to remind Aaron of the plan that God has for his life. That plan is then confirmed directly by God. Now, I'm saying a lot of different things here, but I'm saying them intentionally. You're going to see why in a second. And then if you thought the conversation was one-sided, um, Moses kind of gripes at the two remaining sons of Aaron, and Aaron um, kind of calls Moses out and says, no, actually, you're wrong here. Moses examines his heart and realizes he's wrong, and their relationship moves forward. To me, that sounds like a story of mutual love and respect. Two friends who are able to argue, be frustrated with each other, challenge each other, but ultimately come to the same understanding at the end of the day. And that's exactly what that is. So then I have to ask a question, right? Do you have that person in your life? Who are your friends? Who are you ministering with? You know, the people you give access to, like Aaron did Moses. And I mean actual access. I'm not talking about the front side of yourself that you give on Facebook. That's how everyone's best. I'm talking about all sides of you. Those people who are able to remind you of your calling. That person that reminds you that you have a greater plan for your life. That person that's able to remain patient with you like Aaron did. 
maybe that person who can challenge you and every time that they've challenged you, it's somehow been confirmed by God. That's an important piece there. Or who can straight up disagree with you and it doesn't end the relationship. My heart is broken and this is, this is tough. Because my heart's broken after I listen to couples, single people, all ages, who are struggling mightily with relationships, specifically even in our church. Trying to find their way, and yet nothing seems to stick. It all seems forced. And ultimately, you just want to be done. At least the church friends, right? going out to other places, going out to social gatherings, going out to a bar, uh, the break room at work. Other, other places are easier. Golf course. But if you don't hear anything else, I want you to hear this. Don't settle. Don't settle for a relationship that just kind of gets it done. Don't allow others to dictate your own relational wealth. Get out there and take control of your life, your one and only life. I recently heard about someone who was mad at a, at a church because there wasn't a program that fit them. There wasn't an opportunity in their mind to find a relationship. Can I give you a couple very clear opportunities that our church provides? Sign up to be spiritually coached that one-on-one -on -one coaching thing I just talked about. Although the relationship may not evolve into a friendship, it could. Go to life path classes. Maybe there's someone that you can connect with. And I say maybe. You might go and maybe not. But unless you go, you can't, you can't sit there and continue to come on a Sunday morning and get frustrated that you don't have friends. You just can't. So, so don't. The third one I think is the most important one. And you've heard me, uh, if you've been in the church uh, for any length of time, you know that I led um, life groups for a period of time. And that's get involved in a life group. Yes, swallow your own insecurities, your pride, or whatever is holding you back from going up and signing up. Or maybe start leading. That's what Jen and I did 11 years ago. Why? Because we were frustrated with the lack of relationships we had. We were frustrated. Didn't, we, we continued to come every Sunday for two years, and we were frustrated with relationships. And so we decided, well, we need someone in our life. So we um, got involved in a, in a life group. And those individuals that were part of that first life group that we started are some of still my closest friends. I... Uh, <laughs> I'll call it in preparation for this message. I, uh, I started watching something called Alone on the History Channel. If any of you guys have seen it, it's pretty sad um, because it talks about these people who go out in the middle of uh, Vancouver Island and have to survive completely on their, on, on their own. And uh, it's amazing what happens when we're alone. We, we, we're not meant to be alone. Let me tell you why we're not meant to be alone. We've gone through this morning. You've seen several bu bubbles come up on the screen. There they are. That's called a Venn diagram. Uh, I'm 
formerly a math person, so uh, that's why I'm, I like to use math things. Uh, and this Venn diagram identifies those three different areas, those three different profiles that we have in our life. And at any given time, an individual might be in any of those three, right? They might be in ministering with you. Maybe they start ministering to you. And then over time, you go become friends. And then maybe there is a tragedy or turmoil in their life and they, and then you minister to them. That can happen all the time. And most of the time, no one ever stays in one of those bubbles your entire life unless they're family. But I want to pose to you something. The center of that, where it's kind of darker, the center of that is where Christ exists. The center of that is where Christ exists. And you might think, okay, I can get through, he ministers to me, and I can get through, he ministers um, with me. Does he, do I minister to him? Well, don't take my word for it. Let's look at scripture. He ministers to us. In Hebrews 7.25, it says, Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. He lives to inter make intercession for us. He desires to minister to us. Other verses say he sings over us. He is our high priest. He's absolutely ministering to us. He also ministers with us. He ministers with you. In John chapter 15, verses 13 and 15, it says this, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends. This is Christ talking. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I called you friends. He's called you a friend. That is great news, people. He wants to minister alongside of you. I want you to think about that time that you really ministered to someone. I bet you could sit there and picture Christ right alongside of you, ministering with you. And finally, I save this for last, right? We minister to him. And you're like, uh, I don't know. We do. We minister to him in prayer. See, our prayer lives are like sweet incense to him. We are called to offer up a sacrifice of praise to God to proclaim his excellencies. Why would we ever do that unless it's truly ministering to him? We wouldn't. Several times in Revelation, it even speaks of the prayers of the saints going up to God. And we do it in practice too. I'm going to read this. Uh, it's a little bit of scripture, but um, you have to hear it. Matthew chapter 25, verse 34 through 40, it says, Then the king will say to those on the right, Come on you who are blessed by my father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you a drink? And when did we see a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? 
and the king will answer them, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. So you minister to him in practice through how you minister to others. Let me say that again. You minister to him by how you minister to others. That's a ministry to him. So what am I saying, Nick? Because of that Venn diagram, if he exists in the middle, do I need the other three? Yeah, you do. You can't leave those other three. Why? Because his very nature is relational. God's very nature is relational. Not only does he desire our relationship, but he fully recognizes our need for that relationship with other people. Your very design is to crave those relationships. You don't have to look any farther than the second page in the Bible. He created Adam, and then he said, it's not good with just Adam. It's not good alone. He needs someone else. You need relationships. So I want to challenge you on something as we go into a time of worship here. The prayer team is down front if you want specific prayer. I encourage you to come down front. But I'm not asking you to come down front. What I'm asking is that you deal with this in your heart right now. And I ask you three different questions and I'm gonna ask them to you again. Do you have someone that's ministering to you? Who are you following? Do you have someone that you are ministering to Who's following you? Who's who are you discipling? And do you have people that you're ministering with? And I started this out by saying, this was really hard for me. These statements, these questions that I'm asking have been really hard for me too. This isn't easy, nor am I saying it is easy. But not only is it the model that Moses gave us, it's the example that Christ gave us as well. Please don't leave today without identifying those people or, or being honest and saying, I don't have someone. I need to get real and think about this more deeply. Maybe you need to set up a time to get together with someone. Realize your gap and make a commitment in your heart right now to step outside of your comfort zone. Just maybe you meet someone who will totally fulfill that relational desert you're in because I know we're in it. And don't deny yourself and don't lie to yourself to say you're not. Maybe that person you find is the oasis you need to have full relational wealth. Amen. I, why, why don't we stand? 
Are we singing Build My Life? There's a portion of this song that we're gonna sing. Lead me in your love to those around me. Today, as we sing this song, let that happen.